and go through all of that when the, the attitude of the full gospel church was, if you're divorced, you can't do anything for Jesus and you might not make it to heaven. And God goes, I don't think so. And gave her that great ministry after her great problem. And so Miss Kuhlman's story to me is he's a God of a second chance theme. I love her miracles. I love her heart. But that's why she always said, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful because she knew what she faced. And she knew that God did for her something wonderful he'll do for all of us too. So you'll enjoy all of these books. And here's my last uh, journal's book that just came off the press about, I guess, about six, nine months ago. We have Or Roberts and Lester Summerall, George Jeffries, Bosworth, and the Happy Hunters in this one. Some of those you would know. I was able to interview Charles and Francis Hunter uh, right before uh, they passed away. I think she was 91 or 90 when I interviewed her. And I was in her house in Houston. You all, you all know who the Happy Hunters are? You know, if we can do it, you can do it too. You know, they're, they're kind of uh, bigger than life. They belonged on TV before there was TV, really. And so I was interviewing her, and I said, Francis, what did you do before you became a Christian and, and you became a heathen evangelist, Charles? She said, well, I drank, I smoked, and told dirty jokes that made the sailors blush. <laughs> and I'd heard her say that before in church. If you'd ever heard her preach and give her testimony, she'd say that. And if you knew her person, you could see her being like that. And then I said, well, what was your occupation? How, how did you make a living? Because her first husband was abusive and divorced. Her second husband died of cancer. So she had a lot of trauma in her life. So I thought, how did you take care of yourself and your child? She thought, I was a printer. And I thought, a logical question, what did you print? So I, I asked. And she got real quiet, like you. And um, I thought, did I say something wrong? And then I rehearsed my question and how I asked. I thought, well, there's nothing wrong with that question. She looked at me and she goes, and she, she was like Tammy Faye Baker. She wore the big eyelashes that weren't real, that were bigger than life. And um, uh, she goes, I printed porn. And I like, excuse me? Because I never thought in a thousand years that that would be the response. I thought she knew she printed books or she printed newspapers or stationery. I, I thought she had a small little, she goes, I printed porn, smoked, drank, and told dirty jokes. I said, that's wonderful. Because <laughs> right there, I thought, that's how I'm going to tell her story. If God can use her, there's hope for everybody in this room. If he can take a porn printer, smoker, cusser, dirty joke telling woman from Texas, he can take anybody from Vegas and make something great out of them. Amen. So. God takes the most unusual people with the most wild and unusual backgrounds and does extraordinary things with them. And so if you feel like you've done something in your life that disqualified you, somebody in history were weirder than you and God used them. So don't give up, get up and go forward. Amen. So you'll enjoy all those things back there. Amen. All right. I want to start with Acts chapter eight uh, with you this morning. And I want to read uh, from verse four to about verse eight. Uh, the New Testament is uh, only has one history book in it, really, the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is the incomplete history of the early church. It is not the total story of all the early church. It mainly revolves around the stories of Peter and Paul and other minor characters. In the biblical record of Acts, we have little places where we can see that God did citywide revivals and not just personal conversions. But sometimes 
you read through them so fast you don't know what happened because it's like, oh, that's nice. So we're going to read here for a few moments, a few few verses that talks about a citywide revival that you are looking to, to have here in Vegas, which you need to have. Just don't let what's in Vegas get on you halfway through your successful route. Just a thought for reference of the future. Because um, a lot of folks have come here and they get successful or they get weary. And then the territorial power that you're fighting, you begin to tolerate and then it begins to govern you. And that goes for any territory. Uh, I'll tell you a summer all story later if we have time about this city. Uh, it says in verse, verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ uh, unto them. Not their pet doctrine or what they were angry at that day. And the people with one accord gave heed unto all the things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits came out with a loud voice. You know, things still are loud in church. Uh, Praise should be loud. Sometimes deliverance is loud. Sometimes healing is loud. If you get nervous over loudness, then you need to deliverance yourself. Uh, You know, the Bible is a loud book. It's not a quiet book, even though some people read it quietly and practice it softly. It is a loud book. It is an aggressive book. It's an intense book with personal moments of great encounters. But when it starts moving citywide, it gets very dramatic. And you have God blessing, the devil getting mad and fighting, and humans trying to figure out what to do. Welcome to revival. Revival is divine chaos that's wonderful. You'll get that next week, okay? And um, then it says, verse, I love verse 8. And, it's, and there was a great joy in the city. Uh, we want to make sure that when it's all said and done, there's a joy in the city when it's all over. Amen? And so this is a biblical record of the Samaritan revival. Then we have other little places where you have little small outbreaks. There are two ways that revival come biblically and historically. They come, one, by sovereignty, when God just chooses to breathe and, whoom, it just comes. Uh, we've had some of those in our lifetime. We had the Toronto Blessing was more God decided to visit Toronto and make it a hub, and God blessed it. Los Angeles at the Azusa Street Revival was kind of a sovereign move of God at that time. Then you had, uh, in recent days, the Brownsville Revival, God hit. The Lakeland Revival, God hit. Those were sovereign moves of God, where it, like one day they just kind of woke up, and they actually bumped into what God had planned, and they just kind of fell into it, and it was exciting. Uh, a lot of things is what we call revivals, what? People think that's its sovereignty. But the other way that revival comes is by aggressive faith. <clears throat> when you decide to do the scriptures be with an intensity uh, and a faith, Wigglesworth said, God will get over, over a thousand people to get to one that's believing. And so he'll go over a thousand churches to get to the church that's believing too. Like you. You know, you don't have to be the big church. You have to be a believing church. Because sometimes when you get too big, you get too sophisticated and you become more concerned about the opinions of others than the will of God for you and your duties. If you can maintain that as your priority and the other as second or third or forget it, you might be able to be big and have it your whole life like Sister person did in Los Angeles. And the other one we can look at in history is the Salvation Army, which is Today, when you mention them, we usually think the bell ringers at Christmas time. But in the 1800s, when it was birthed, it was a great uh, on-will militant revival that came out of William Booth and the people that he got saved, along with his wife. And they taught them how to be aggressive soldiers of faith and to to attack society. And they had a revival. Now, we are in a moment now when God is looking for both. 
He will sovereignly visit certain territories. But if God, for some reason, does not sovereignly visit Vegas, that doesn't mean you're out. You can aggressively obey the scriptures and have it too. Amen. So both are good and both are from God. And don't let one be better than the other. Just glad that you can have it either way. Hallelujah. Amen. I just want to sit here and God visit me. Well, I hope he does, but if he doesn't, you don't have to be left out. Amen. We have those. Let's now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, we want to read another passage to you today and talk a bit more about the moves of God. I've um, been a student of revival since I was a little boy. I, I'm very glad that my, my life that I've spent reading and studying and talking about the generals of revivals has been well received around the world and I'm very happy about it. But uh, in doing so, I learned certain things from a historical viewpoint. And one of those is this. Revivals come every 10 to 15 years, historically speaking. And so, if you live to be 90, 80 years old, you should be a part of at least six or seven different moves of God in your lifetime. If a church stays current, they should too. Ten years to enjoy it and five years to realize it's over. And join the next one. It takes that long to get enough people well to recognize that we're on a locomotive that's been fuel for a while. Now it's just been moving by the momentum of 10 years of, of, of grace and obedience and realize we've got to change into what God is doing new. Most people never go beyond the revival that got them saved or got them healed or made their pastor famous. Okay, I'll give that list again. Most people never go beyond the revival of God that when they were touched with the salvation message and found Jesus, or they got healed or delivered from something that was a crisis in their life, that move that Touch them in that moment, they, they stay in that one. Or their pastor became successful leader or famous in a revival, and then they stay there. And they live on the memorial. If your past is better than your present, then you're backslidden. If your church's past is better than your present, then the whole bunch of you are backslidden. If your denomination is past is better than your present, then the whole bunch of you are backslidden too. Now... I notice I get four claps and the rest are trying to either wake up or say, well, the guy shut up. You've got me for another 35 minutes, okay? So um, we have to realize that, it's, again, it's a historical remark I'm making now. It's not a biblical, it's a historical one. And every 10 to 15 years, so if that is true, then you need to be a wave rider to ride the moves of God. Not a charismaniac that cruises around from church to church. That's not what I'm talking about. There is the cruisomatics where they get mad at pastor, they go to the different church. When I passed in California, we had them on a cycle. I can almost tell you what time of the year this family would be back at my church because by that time they've gone through all the other charismatic churches and got mad and left, and they do it every year. That's called a cruisomatic and rebellion. That's not what I'm talking about. It is a stable recognition of what God is saying at the moment and the willful and spiritual step to join it and to learn how it fits and functions with the whole counsel of God and to administrate it into the hungry lives of those that are wanting to be fed God's fresh proceeding word of the now. And to bring the stability you have that now word with the stability of the sound doctrines that we have established from the past revivals that we now call doctrines and normals. Amen. So it's not throwing out the old, it's keeping it with us and letting the fresh proceeding word to come on top of it. Does that make sense? And so 
we, we, we have a challenge with that. I was born in 1966. Uh, that was in the middle of the charismatic movement. The charismatic revival is different than the Pentecostal revival. The Pentecostals or the classical Pentecostals were the ones that received the modern influence of the Holy Spirit at Azusa Street in the years after. They were mainly uh, country people. They were uh, low-income people, low-educated people that had great needs, and God's power gave them answers, and they exploded into victory, into leadership at that time. And so uh, then it progressed into uh, some other movements and things, but the charismatic movement was a move of God that many prophesied, one being Brother Wigglesworth, prophesied before he died that there would come a great move of the Holy Spirit among the mainline churches. That means your Baptist, your Methodist, your Presbyterian, your Nazarene, all those guys. Because back then they thought all of us charismatics are looney tunes. And you had to give them credit. Can you imagine you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian and you come among us going, and we're jerking and we're jerking and we're going all that. Sure, they thought we were nuts. So give these people a moment to process all of our craziness. Okay? Sometimes we get mad at people because we just don't get it. Well, come from their perspective. Some of you have actually, but I was raised Pentecostal. So I would used to, mm, that's just all the stuff that you do. You prophesy, you speak in tongues, you jerk, you run, you fall down, you vibrate. Uh, you, all, all the stuff that happens uh, that I'm sure you're just familiar with. But there are people who come, who come among us and they just like, what? And uh, they think we're nuts. They have no scriptural reference to it, no experiential reference or explanation of it. And most of the time, either you get it or they run for their dear life and never come back. But what happened in the charismatic movement was God's Holy Spirit went into those churches and began to fill them and move with the gifts and speak with tongues and all of that. And it went like wildfire through the main churches around the world. Now, a Pentecostal at that time did not believe that the Holy Ghost would go into those churches. You had to come out to get him. Because no way would the Holy Ghost go fill a Catholic priest who does a Hail Mary and drinks wine. That's how they thought. That's how they thought. They just thought it had to be a counterfeit spirit. But God did it. Went into the Presbyterians with all their starchiness and zapped them. And because they didn't go, whoo, and run down the aisle, they couldn't really be spiritual. Because they were very, we worship. you like, there's another other pity calls. Mm, whoa. Because they didn't do those kind of things. We, we, we didn't really know if it was real or not. Because we, we discern the realness of the Holy Spirit by your outward reactions to the Holy Spirit's moving. And so if you didn't go, whoa, and do where your high-level screams and yells and jerks and your hair fall out and all the things that you do, you know, we just didn't think it was real. So when you got among the charismatics, they were softer, and they were a little more proper. They would stand in one location. Is that real tongues, or is that a, is that a demon tongue? <laughs> I remember as a little boy, and I was at the end of some of those classical Pentecostals, my grandparents being a part of that, uh, they thought like that. Now, they later changed and realized they had to, but in the beginning, mm, they were determined, come out from among them. He won't go in there where there's idol worship. That, 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 that's the way they talked. And so when he did, it freaked out the Pentecostal movement. And I was born in the middle of that. Catherine Kuhlman was the main leader of the charismatic 
Renewal, as it was called. She was the one that seemed to be the outstanding personality of that revival. And the charismatic movement was based mainly on the worship uh, of the Lord, testimonies, and, and the move of the Holy Spirit. It was the introducing to people of the Holy Spirit. He's a person, his gifts, his fruits, his power. And, and, and it was an introduction to And so it was a lot different than the Pentecostal thing. Now let me read my verse where I get ahead of myself. Uh, I was a part of charismatic, word of faith, and then I joined the prophetic apostolic, and then I'm, whatever it is going on right now, I'm in that too. So I don't know what we call this fourth one, but I'm there, okay? I'm jumping, and I, I want to drink and run with it. I don't know what we call ourselves. That's why I call it the river. It all kind of goes together. That seems to be a, a safe name at the moment. But in 1 Corinthians 12, and verse 4, 5, and 6, it says this. There are diversity of gifts with the same spirit. Differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but the same God that worketh all in all. And the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man that there may be a profiting with all or a victory in their life. And so, notice here in this passage is, what's the same and what's different? We normally get it backwards in our spiritual life, in our church discernment. It says, there are different gifts, same Spirit. So there's going to be different gifts that lead different moves of God and different five-fold gifts that are in the church. But sometimes we want everybody to act just like us. And we want sameness of gift and we don't discern sameness of spirit. We like different spirit but same gift. It's backwards and we get a religious spirit that way. And then you go here in verse 5. There are difference of administrations, how things are done. Every revival has a different way that the Spirit of God is administrating His will and what He's saying and the anointing that He's given at that time is normally different than the last way it functions, how it comes about. Like, when I grew up, falling down was the big act of the Holy Spirit. When you were hit by the ghost, you fell down. Now, falling down's been going on in the Bible since Genesis. The power of God comes, body freaks out and falls over. And there were no catchers. Maybe it just fell. They were falling to the ground when they came to find Christ in the garden. He goes, I am me. And they said, they were all falling to the earth. So you have biblical record of the power of God coming. And people's bodies can't take the strength or the glory of that moment. or that hour, And they fall to the ground or they're on their knees. And so throughout history, people have been falling all the time. But it wasn't until we got to the charismatic days when we had to have catchers. We had to have catchers because people falling in the flesh began to sue the church. And so the way to solve that was we had catchers. And sometimes when people fell, especially women, their dresses were up just a little too far. And we began the cloth ministry uh, uh, in the falling. And so I grew up when the catchers were beginning for them and the cloth ladies were coming. We had nice cloths. We had men. It began with men's coat jackets. And then we began to make them. And then, like in my church, I put extra padding in the altar area in case my ushers couldn't get to you fast enough. You'd fall on nice, comfortable padding that was about five inches thicker than the rest of the room. <laughs> and then I came back from England, and I was at the church I attend in Florida where I live now. And I noticed we had Heidi Baker come, and, and I knew her back when nobody cared who she was. And, um, and I noticed people came and brought their blankets and just laid on the floor. And at first I thought, well, okay, flakes for everything. So just kind of let it be. And I, and I noticed each night there came more people with their blankets and they just came to the altar area during worship, laid down and had their blanket and they stayed there the whole service. No one told them to get up and go get their seat or to 
So it's like, okay, well, after the third day, my word of faith, how you do church, began to be provoked. So I leaned over to the pastor's wife, which is, I said, hey, Pastor Peggy, what's up with these people? Are they nuts or what, what's the deal? She goes, they're soaking. I go, oh. And I thought to myself, what does that mean? Because I've not heard what a soaker was. I guess you would all know what a soaker is, right? All right, well, I'm sorry. I, I'm just getting new language and new things. And so I'm at a place where I'm like, soakers? What does that mean? So this is the, the evolution of falling down. We just start on the floor now. That, that's kind of way I process it in my head. I still prefer to fall. If God wants to knock me out, then just knock me out. But some know they're going there anyway, so they bring their blanket and they just start there. And so, you know, we've kind of... <laughs> We, we, we've kind of evolved, and there's different ways people respond to things. And so what I'm trying to stress here, there's different ways that God does something, as well as different ways that people respond to the move of God in every revival. Back in the Methodist revival, when John Wesley and Peter Cartwright arrived, they had what they called the jerks. When the power of God came, they jerk, and they called it the jerks. Now, most of the jerking don't go on much anymore. If a jerk session came in here, it would freak all you soakers out. Because you've not seen a hundred people jerk around the room under the power of God. You used to people crying, weeping, and falling on the ground. Now we do it. You know, we bring our blanket, and we lay down, and then we start there. It's a whole, so we have to discern the spirit and not let different administrations or how people respond to the anointing uh, affect us and not drink of it. Does that make sense? Now, not everything people do is appropriate. Not everything that people do is, it doesn't have to be done that way, but it is. So either we have to look at it and go, okay, or teach about it, or just let people grow up in some things. And as some things, as people grow, some things disappear. So some people overreact too fast. And I don't want to ever be a part of a group that goes, I don't like this. I don't want to be a part of that group. I, 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 the problem I have is what I'm scared of it's not wildfire. It's no fire. Yeah. That, that, that's what I'm scared of. I, I can handle wildfire. I can handle young fire. I can even handle old complaining fire if you're still on fire. I can handle that. <laughs> but the problem I have, I don't want no fire. Uh, that, that's what I'm concerned about. And so we have here these little verses, different administrations, different operations, but the same Lord and the same Spirit. And sometimes we forget how this is written. There are different gifts that lead moves of God. And there are different gifts that are in the church. There are different ways that God's spirit is administrated and different operations of God's. But we want to make sure it's the right spirit. Not get hung up on the different gifts or the different operations. I don't like that because it's not my administration. Like a lot of the apostolic leaders, at least some of the ones I'm aware of that I'm referring to at this moment, is they train up young ministers to be exactly like them. And that's why they're to just stay small because some of them are not gifted or anointed in the same manner as the lead dominant personality. And so when you demand that you sing the way I sing and operate, I operate, you may be cutting off the way God gifted them. What we should be concerned about is healthy, sound doctrine and same spirit and enjoy the variety under your wing of covering of all these gifts manifestations and operations. Amen. Now, am I helping anybody this morning? And so 
to give you a little example, I was raised in the charismatic movement where, hallelujah, for Miss Kuhlman, he touched me. You even know those songs? Oh, a, a river church, it does. It's a miracle. And because um, most of your love, like a hurricane, which I don't understand that song quite yet, but I'm sure it's good. But uh, I, I come from, that was a joke, laugh. I know you lost an hour, but I've only got 20 more minutes. You'll survive. And um, so, you know, you, some of these other songs we sing, oh, the blood, all these things. He touched me. Oh, he touched. Say, we Praise the Lord. Somebody knows the song. <laughs> we were singing an older hymn, uh, the women on the front line covered, and half the crowd went, mm, like the national anthem. And they just begin to hum stuff, and they didn't know the words to it. I'm glad we still know Amazing Grace. That's the greatest hymn I think of all. It's a beautiful hymn. But we, we, that was the, the charismatic move. That's the way it flowed, and people got healed, and they got saved, and there was a great power. But that, all revivals, this is a, a revelation. They end. Oh, we got one O, a true O. All revivals have a beginning, a crescendo, and they end. So whatever we're in right now will end. Now, ending in the spirit does not mean, those days are gone. No, ending in the spirit means something better is coming. That's why when you read the book of Joshua, the last chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses is dead and they cried and they mourned. They kept saying that. Joshua chapter one, they said, Moses is dead. You never start a book off with a death sentence. I've written 56 books, I know. If you want somebody to write, read your book, you don't start off with a uh, I said, you want to capture a hook, that's a happy capture. Not like, Moses is dead. That is not the way to start another book. No one wants to read a book that starts out, and the great guy is dead. Nobody wants to read that kind of story. Now, we Christians push through the first three verses. But for, he's dead. Who wants to hear about dead man? You know, you know they but in Scripture... Death means, prophetically, that as great of a glory that we have experienced, something better is on its way. So the, the, the verbiage of death or transition or change or a conclusion of a season, an announcement of a new, means something bigger and better is on its way. Not like we're going to miss Moses. No, we love Moses. We learn from Moses, but he's dead. Joshua's come, and Joshua is different. He don't take votes. He gives commands. Three days, we're heading over. If you don't like it, get on your camel and get back to Egypt. Get out of my camp. That's kind of the way Joshua was. And when it was time to make covenant, and this is a humbling for us guys, when it was time to do what what Moses would not do, he would not circumcise the men for the Abrahamic covenant. Can you imagine circumcising all the men? He won't vote you in next election. And Moses did not put the covenant of Abraham in the children of Israel because he didn't want the reaction. And Joshua comes along and says, give me some knives. Drop your pants, boys. It's time for covenant. And the Bible says that Joshua circumcised all the men of Israel. Now, that is real different than Moses because Moses wouldn't even circumcise his own son. His wife had to do it. That's another whole sermon, but you'll get that at lunchtime. And um, it's one of those things. He wasn't scared of reactions. And Joshua was a different leader, a different administration, 
And to be honest, the difference between the two is Moses could get you out of the world, but he couldn't get you into destiny. And so a lot of times denominations and churches are good at getting people out of drinking, out of the power of the devil, into the faith of Christ, so they don't go to hell. That's how I came to Jesus. The whole thing about getting saved is you don't burn in hell. I can preach that. I know hellfire and brimstone sermons because I heard them all my childhood. The land flames are going to come and burn you. We got saved out of fear, not faith. That's why salvation was cheap to us, and we maintain it out of obligation, not out of love relationship. But at least we got saved every week. <laughs> some of you are laughing. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, that's what we did. Yeah, and that's why it's sometimes hard to come into a church like this and hear love songs and counter messages and, and, and just soaking and all this stuff. Because it's like we're used to getting slapped three times. That's how we know we've had good church. We didn't slap us and kick us and condemn us. We, we haven't been to church yet. We hugged, loved, and kissed and lifted. Like, what is that? It's, a, it's another whole thing. And thank God we're being kissed instead of bit, slapped, and knocked. I like it a lot better. Amen? And I like we don't have to wear ties. We've been delivered from that demon. Praise God. Because when I, when I started in church, I had to look like Jimmy Swaggart. Hair back here. I, had, I was a young guy. I had to look old, wore my tie, my power suits. You had to do that. Thank God I can dress like this and not be in sin. I'm still trying to update. It's still kind of hard. Like, can I really wear that? Is it official or not? You know, how does, how does it work? So we, we make different administrations. So I moved, let me give, we moved from the charismatic move of hallelujah, fall down, feel good, laugh, all that stuff, into word of faith. Hagen, Copeland, Charles Kepps, who just passed away, all of these teachers. Now, it was a different gift that led the word of faith. They were, it was a teaching gift. And the teachers, they don't need music. They need time. So you want a good teaching meeting, you sing 10, 15 minutes, horse and rider fell into the sea, amen. You know, we sing all those songs. Y'all remember some of those songs? My God. We need to go out and do a history course of hymnology and courseology. And so we can keep update the new Christians on our jokes that keep falling here today. Um, I can tell who, who's my age group because you're the ones that laugh. And then it goes, oh, horse and rider? You know, we had all of our little songs. But they, 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 that's why there was no great CDs and DVDs of their worship. Because that wasn't it. You go to the Word of Faith, you have thousands of teaching tapes and CDs. You go in there, you take your big Bibles. We had no little Bible on phone. Your big Bible, your colored pencils, your notepads, and you sat for two hours uh, at a time. And you wrote notes. And when it was over, you ran to the book table and you bought all this stuff. And you walked out like this. And, and you actually listened to it. You actually read the books because we were so stupid. We needed intelligence from spiritual uh, realm from the teachers. And so we go from Catherine Kuhlman, hallelujah. And somebody's being healed. Over here. Bam, it happens to Brother Hagen. Well, in 1952, I was preaching in East Texas. And the Lord came upon me. And, they get, and, 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 we go, and we sat there and we listened. I remember going to a seminar. I lived in Tulsa. I was born there. So it was about three miles from Raymond where Brother Hagin's headquarters was. So I remember going to a seminar where he preached Hebrews 11.1 twice a day for five days and then wasn't done. And I'm like, you're not done. He said, I just have to come back next year and finish it up for you. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Walks off the stage. I'm like, 
We have been here for two services for five days, two hours each. The worship service was maybe 15 minutes of happy, clappy songs of word-based music, and it was over. We sing black ball church and jerk a little bit, and then we sit down. That's what it was. And so a lot of people in the charismatic movement couldn't transition into the faith thing because they got addicted to how God was moving in the revival they liked. Hallelujah, fall down, get healed to Brother Hagin, Brother Copeland. We're going to open the Bible today and we're going to teach you on the subject of righteousness. And nobody fell down. There, there, there was no great manifestation of that revival was the light bulb going on. Because we had to understand the word because there were some things that we were saying was the Holy Ghost. It was not the ghost. Well, it was a ghost, but it wasn't the right ghost. And, and, and we couldn't do it because our word level was low. We had broad knowledge of Scripture, but not revelatorial understanding of Scripture that brought us victory. And God said, I've got to get my word in my people to a level where they can discern right and wrong for themselves and do it themselves. And so he brought a whole teaching move, but it ended in the late 80s and early 90s. Even though you can turn on Brother Copeland and he's still good and Creflo and Jerry Savelle and all those guys are part of that revival. And if you haven't been a part of it, I would suggest you take a few moments and go get it. And drink of it, get the tapes, the books, so you can get the, the message that God was saying in your spirit. You don't have to change, move, just go get the truth and keep where you are. And then we get over here in the prophetic and the um, uh, uh, apostolic stuff. And it scared the faith people almost to death. Because in our minds, there was really only one prophet. That was Brother Hagin. Now, they never said that, but that was kind of the feeling that we had, okay? But Brother Hagin, I will say this, and I am a Haganite by choice, and I will be here the day I die. I am word of faith. I'm a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it guy. I believe it. I'm not, a, not ashamed of it. It is real. And so if you want to persecute me, blame me for that, and I'll carry that as a medal. I have no problem being a Haganite and a Copenite and all those. They blessed my family and my life and got me out of Pentecostal ignorance where I could combine the Word and the Spirit together. I, I knew the Holy Ghost. I just didn't know the depths of the Word like I needed to. But when I got into the Word of Faith Church of Victory, uh, Billy Joe Darty, and began to learn and got remember the Hagin, my life exploded. That's why my ministry at 17 went national. Because I knew the Holy Ghost. I just needed the Word to mix with it, and it exploded me. And so what we had there was all of a sudden, everybody starts seeing, hearing, and speaking. Everybody, including their cats and their dogs, became prophets. And it scared us faith people like, mm. So we, we, we had a problem transitioning from the teaching revival to the prophetic and the apostolic. Because we did not know how to sort through what God was saying and how people were responding. And every revival, there is excesses. Welcome to humanity. And so, you know, you enjoy that. You enjoy that. You don't get ashamed of it and persecute it. And you don't get mad and come against it. You become a part of how you live and how you preach. You become a part of the stabilizing factor of all of those young spirits. Not always age, but young and hungry in spirit. They come around and they find you happy and supportive and your example and how you say it helps them come into it in the right way. 
But a lot of the people, why every revival persecutes the one that comes after them, even though we swear on 10 Bibles in 10 different translations. We will never do that. We always do unless you have extra special attention to your heart and your attitude because we get emotionally addicted to how God did something that may be closer to our preference. It's all right to have a preference. Just don't be controlled by it. If I had a preference, out of all the anointings I've ever been around and moved, I want Catherine back. Yeah, we mean here about her. Amen. If I had my choice, okay, if I had my choice and my preference could dictate, I want Catherine's vein back now. But that's not. There may be individuals that have that particular flow that comes like Pastor Benny in. Or doing, and I appreciate that. And I'm trying to get a little bit of myself when it comes. I, I'm, I'm hoping and I believe it. It may never happen. But if I had my preference, but my preference didn't dictate my life or I'd be irrelevant. I'd already be out of it. I'd be one of those guys who was. But a lot of my guys that I grew up with, I was 17 and 20, 25 when they were 40 and 45. So they're either dead or they're dying or they're, they don't want to do anything else. So I had to make a decision personally to live off of all that I did in the first 40 years of my life, which is one whole life, to be honest, without sounding arrogant. But if I was to die today, I've already done one whole life. The good thing about me, I get to do it again. I like this. I get to take my successes and bring them with me. All my mistakes, big, large, and small, I take what I learned with me and all that. And I get to do it for another 40 years, and then I get to die. And I want to die someplace in a big conference behind a pulpit. That's how I want to die. Scare all the sinners in that night. You only, you only get to die once, so do it dramatically, okay? So if the Lord does not come and you get to die, do it Old Testament style. Call them all together, prophesy, give your money away while you're alive so there's no argument after you leave, and then just drop your legs and die. That's the way to go. That's, that's, that's the Bible way to get out of here. Notice we aren't laughing at all this morning. God help them. But it's biblical. And so I had to make a decision. Now, for some of you that uh, may be watching or might be hearing me later or you're here this morning, if you've been in ministry past one revival and you had any degree of success in it, here's your other problem. I'll try to do this in my first closing. And because uh, <laughs> I'm trying to obey that clock and be a nice first-time guest here, okay? And um, uh, we that have had success before, and you start in with the move of God that's going on now. You normally have to get all new friends. There's always exceptions, but it's normally new friends. So how your money comes, number one, shakes. Because by this time, you're successful, your partners are with you, and you're in all the right camp meetings and all the right things where the crowd and the love of you is there and they support you and it flows real nice. But then you get to the place where like, we have done this and done this and it's getting more than old. It's now stale and moldy. And you have to decide, am I willing to leave that type of arena to come over here to the young, happy, clappy, extreme, wildfire, crazy people? Who is soaking, by the way? Who we don't quite get that yet, and we are offended by the blanket. We, we pick the most stupidest thing to, to call it of the flesh or of the devil. And sometimes we're sitting, we're sitting, we, we, we begin in storefronts. We begin in people's homes or little buildings that need much, much care. 
And finally your friends have now built buildings with air conditioning and nice carpet and all the things that go on. And you have to leave all of that and come and start at ground level again with a new generation of hunger. And so some people don't want to do that. Some people right now here in Vegas that I preached for in the 90s have not, are not willing to move with the cloud because they like the comfortableness of the geographical location of the church next to their house, the chair, and the beauty of the building where they go because now it's a part of their social life. They go to the right church that has all the right bells and whistles, but there's no ghost there. There's no cloud there, or it's very little or very little permitted. And to me, I like the cloud. I like the Holy Ghost. I like hunger. I like people that are reaching. If they make some mistakes, praise God they're trying. Praise God they're going. It's better than those who are already dead and professional about it. So what I'm trying to express this morning is be happy where you are. Be glad that what you may go through, and some of you that are older saints can probably identify this last part of my message because you might have been through two or three already like me. And I remember I was sitting in a little, little storefront church, about 40 people. And I thought, you know, I used to preach in the city with about 5,000 that got across town. And I thought, and I, he don't want any prayer line. He don't want any ministry per se. He has his 20-minute inspirational, have a new life on Monday sermon and know Jesus in part of it. It's motivation with the uh, the use of the Lord's name just so people think he's a church. It's all changed. And, and, and I can't hang with that. And I'm sitting there and my flesh and my soul is screaming. Why am I here? What are you crazy? Are you nuts? Plus the money's better over there. The whole, I know nobody thinks like that but me, but the whole thing in my head is rolling. But I made a decision. When I started working for Jesus, I worked for Jesus one because I like him. Okay, number one, I like Jesus. You know, you can love somebody and not like them. I love and like Jesus. Okay, number one, if you like somebody, you want to hang out with them. I like him. Number two, I want to be where he's at. And number three, I like God's people. Now, some of them need a little more care than others. but That's why we're in ministry. All babies have dirty nappies or dirty diapers. All babies have to learn proper manners. But if we're not there to help them and love them, then they don't have that. I decided to esteem the move of God and the freshness of God more than the other. There comes a moment in your life that if I have to do this five more times before I'm dead, when I'm an old man, I'll be looking for another Zach. I might be rolled in. I might be rolled in. Or I might have to take a little bit longer to walk in, but I'm coming. I'm going to die amongst the living. I'm not going to be alive among the dead. My grandmother used to say, don't die until you're dead. And that, you know, thank God for mom and grandma. Grandma's in heaven. Mom's still with me. Runs my office for me. But my grandmother... You say, Roberts, don't be among the dead because it'll get on you and you'll die. And she says, don't you die until you're dead. And she was asked one time for me and her to go back. My grandparents were some of the God preachers in the Carolinas. Back with Andy Griffin town, you know, Mayberry, those kind of towns in North Carolina. 
All we needed was Barney Five, and we'd have the whole thing live and in color in North Carolina. It was those kind of country towns. And they built like 23 churches in their life in that North and South Carolina area. And um, they wanted her to come and uh, be at an anniversary of a 50-year-old church they had built 50 years ago. And they wanted me and her both to come. And I thought, well, that'd be great. So I said, Graham, we got this phone call and letter inviting us to go back to North Carolina where you guys pastored and to do the anniversary. You want to go? He goes, no. I said, we haven't even prayed. Don't have to pray about it. I said, no. I'll go with you. It'll be a big deal. It'd be fun to go back. And, and she says, Roberts, I'm old. If I go back there, that old spirit might get on I me. Mean, I might die. I did not know. I'm not going to do that. She says, if you want me to go with you, all you guys screaming, yelling, jumping around, I'll go there. And my grandmother would come every day to the Bible school that we had in our church in, in Irvine. She came in late. She came. She's grandma. She, she'd come in late, walk down the middle row, and move all those students over where she sat in her chair. You know, that was her seat. So it was pretty simple to do. And she'd come and she'd jump around and have a good time. And she, she was a jerker. So she would jerk while they would do all do this. But she lived among the living. And you have to make a decision now, even you that are young, as your hair turns color and your experience becomes a part of your heritage and the quality of your life and the quality of the, the stability of your ministry, that you are a wave rider, that you move with God in every wave. And you're, not, and you're willing to go through the dramas of the new births, of the moves of God. And, and if you lose your friends, there's a whole other group out here that'll love you. Amen? The Lord told me years ago when I was complaining when I was losing some members out of my church, they were leaving. Everybody leave the church once in a while. Sometimes they leave bad. And I'm like, Lord, I lost you in my church. I was going to do this self-pity party. And the Lord said, how many people are in the world? I said, about seven. And he goes, shut up and go meet the rest of them. And to be honest, that, that healed my heart to this day where it's like, ah, okay. And so uh, this morning, I wanted just to give you that little word to help you. You're a part of something new in Vegas. You and your pastors here are fresh on the move. Some of you are older saints have been around. Miss Catherine Quillen back here on the back row with me. Some of you have been around these moves. And I would say to you young ones in the faith and young ones in the natural, find people like that that have been in these things and learn what God did and what they learned that was right and what they learned was wrong. Uh, or hear about the gifts that God used, the ministration of God. There's a beauty in hearing it from the saints. And old saints, tell them. Don't bite them and don't rebuke them. Just tell them what happened at that moment and how they did right and how they could have done better and, and what was good and bad. Just, just tell it without going, hey, hey, hey. no, 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 no. It's, ah, 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 ah. That's the way you do it. Amen.